0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mitten Politics. This episode is a little bit longer because we're going to talk about the entirety of the 2020 general election results today um, with a a little bit of a focus on local, state, and federal level implications as far as the the election results go. Um, I have Lauren Jasinski here with me today, who is the vice chair of the Greater Royal Oak Democratic Club and soon to be incoming chair, hopefully. And so uh, I'll keep this short since the episode's a little bit longer. Thank you for joining. All right. Hi, Lauren, and thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Hey, Ian, it's so good to be here.
0: All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the results of this incredible 2020 election (laughs) that I feel like has been uh, ongoing for at least the last two years, including the primaries, if not the last four, since we elected Donald J. Trump as our commander in chief of choice for some of us anyway. Um, And so we're gonna kind of start and talk through the results uh, from the local level. We'll talk about the state level results, and then we'll kind of wrap up talking about the federal results and implications moving forward. and just kind of like what each of those results kind of means for our community um, and and what we have to kind of what we have to do next, uh, because, yeah. you know, the election might be over, but the work is not necessarily done.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a that's a huge message for this year moving forward.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and it it just really is crazy to think about how I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about. How coming up on the election is like driving in a car at nine thousand miles an hour and all of a sudden stopping and getting out and you're like trying to now figure out okay where am i at what's going on what does this all mean let's figure this all out so
1: yeah absolutely and i think uh, a lot of times that happens kind of like in in movements or in any type of organization that you're like building so much towards a specific thing uh that when we actually get through it and when it actually happens uh, we don't always have a plan for what comes next and so i think that's definitely what we all need to start kind of looking towards you know maybe take a day or two to celebrate um some of our great wins and uh then get back to work
0: yeah absolutely i think those couple days of relaxation are much needed for all of us i know myself i feel more exhausted now than i did before the election um but lots of, lots of good things for us to talk about today.
1: Yeah, you didn't think that could happen in 2020,
0: huh? Right, right. I don't think anything good could happen in 2020, but uh, I have been proven wrong. So- That's good, that's good. All right, so uh, I guess first we'll start off. So uh, Lauren is also a resident of Royal Oak like myself. So we're gonna talk about kind of the Royal Oak School Board elections first and then work our way up from there. Um, yeah. So
1: this was a super fascinating race because typically school board is like not too contentious. Um, our neighbors to the north in Clawson didn't even have enough people running to even fill their open slates that they just had to like beg people to run as write-in candidates when it came down to the election. Um, And they filled the spot with a couple people that were willing to do it. So the fact that we had six qualified, interested people for four slots, I think really says something about some shifts we're seeing in politics. I think focus on education um, and a lot of things that are happening in Royal Oak.
0: Yeah, for sure. I wasn't aware of that with Clawson. So I think school board is incredibly important because of the decisions they make, especially right now during this COVID pandemic and amid all of the, I, I guess we've had these issues for a long time, but the heightened awareness of racial inequality and how that even might affect schools or does affect schools. I think who decides to run and who we elect is more important now than ever, uh, given how much information is available and awareness is available. So, and I know from talking to you and from even talking to my dad, who was a former teacher as well, that a lot of times now we're finding people who are running for these school boards who have no education like experience, like hands on in a classroom type of education experience. And that's not always a bad thing, although that would be preferred. But it's really important that people that are elected have a passion for education, have a, pageant, a passion specifically for public education and want to actually take the job seriously to, make it, to improve the lives of the students who are attending and to improve the community's experience as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's pretty rare that we see people run for office, especially school board office, um, who are classroom educators. Um, you know, maybe they're adjacent to school communities in some kind of way. Um, lots of involved parents, and and like you said, not that that doesn't that doesn't take away from how much they care about the system, uh, but it does sometimes make me wonder about why why teachers aren't more willing to put themselves into those positions. It could be time. It could be conflicts of interest. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot that goes into it, but I, I would love to see some educators start running for offices, yeah.
0: Sure, yeah, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. So here in Royal Oak, we elected four people to our school board at this round of elections. Uh, one of them was incumbent Marianne Van Heitzma, who was running for re-election for the, the school board. And then we also elected uh, Tim Chikorski, who will be, uh, he, he's... member of our club and we we know Tim very well I'm very excited to see him on there he'll be the first uh, LGBTQ identified openly identified member on the school board which is going to bring a great new perspective I think to uh, the board the parents and the students and then we also elected uh, Lisa Aline Haynes and Erica Alexander both of whom were also very strong candidates Um, so Kind of excited, you know, three brand new members and one incumbent that was reelected. Um, definitely going to bring some new perspective to the board. I have to admit, I was a little, bit, um, a little bit sad not to see Lakeisha Morrison elected, as she was the only candidate of color uh, who had worked hard on organizing Black Lives Matter protests in our community. Her students attend Royal Oak Schools. She's lived here pretty much her whole life. And it would have been nice to see her on there. But we just, unfortunately, that didn't happen this time. I hope that she'll stay active and stay involved and speak to those who I know, have a very open ear to anything that she might have to say and suggest. Um, But that's kind of where we stand for now.
1: Yeah, um, and that's, we knew that something like this was gonna happen right right from the very beginning, that we knew that there were, um, there were six really qualified candidates, there were five Dem-endorsed candidates um, from our local Democratic club, um, and and there were only four spots, you know? So we knew from the very beginning that, that someone wasn't gonna make it, and someone that we knew could potentially do a really good job wasn't gonna make it. Um, but I am, I, I agree, um, I'm bummed to, see that it wasn't Lakeisha. Um, I think she would have been a good fit and cares a lot about the district um, and and student equality, uh, and that was something that she's been very, very vocal about. Um, there's been some criticism um, on social media about what that choice says about Royal Oak as a community. Um, And I think that there's just in general, a lot for us to kind of reflect on and think about moving forward. But I don't think that this will be the last that we hear from her. I think that she's going to stay involved in, in making some really good decisions moving forward for our city.
0: Yeah, I, I really hope so. I think it's, I I think, you know, obviously Lakeisha, every time Mm -hmm. I've listened to her speak is very passionate, very articulate, very, um, you know, brings a new perspective and brings it with passion that sometimes goes unmatched, especially for people who are not people of color. And I think it's, there is some, some kind of shame in, in the fact that when we have a slate of six candidates and only one of them is black and doesn't make it on the school board, we probably need to continue to work on, uh, racial equality in royal oak Uh, we I, i mean everywhere needs to work on it and i know we need to work on it but i would love to see a little bit more diversity of those who are representing our community because even in royal oak as a suburb of detroit we are more diverse than you know all being all white and having all white representatives working for us so
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Royal Oak as a community has said a lot of the right things. You know, we've, we've said that we support the BLM movement. We've said that we support equality and that we want to focus on uh, diversity in our schools. Um, But we need to start putting some of those things into action. Otherwise uh, we're going to look kind of foolish. So I think that this, this could have been a good step, but all of that to say, it's just a tricky position because um, the people that did make it onto school board are, also very qualified and and have great things to do for our community and have our students best interest at heart Um, and that's that's really important too it's just uh, i think a time time to be reflective about what that is
0: yes absolutely and we will keep an eye on kind of how how the new school board works and things as things get as they get rolling and get into their new office as we continue to navigate this covid pandemic and seeing you know what decisions are made and how we go from from here. But um, overall, I agree. Uh, very qualified candidates. All right. So uh, the school board was the closest to home, the most local. But as we look at a little bit larger of a chunk, moving up to the county level, um, a lot of really exciting things happened at the county level. Um, I was very happy to see Lori Savin elected to the sixth circuit or sixth circuit court. Um, she was running for the non-incumbent position and uh, had a lot of really awesome things to say about equality. And um, every time that I met her, just was really, really passionate and and said all of the right things. And so I'm hoping she will do those things now that she has been elected to that position. Yeah, Lori's
1: experience situates her really well for that, um, that she felt really, really strongly about that bench. And uh, I think that she's going to be a great voice on there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh you know, it's it's interesting because so many courts and court positions are actually appointed, especially when you think about like the federal level courts and stuff. So, it's good that we still get an opportunity to voice who we want on on a lot of these local courts that have you know, make a huge number of decisions. Like we always hear about what's going on at the the federal courts and with the the state supreme courts and with the Federal Supreme Court, but we don't often hear about all of the the impact that all of the local courts themselves make, because not everything the majority of cases, I would argue, never go beyond a local court, so having someone who's level headed there is really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and not to take away, I, I agree with the importance of the federal Supreme Court. I of course think that we, we know that the u s Supreme Court impacts a lot of things about our life and, and four generations. Uh, the thing is that, like you said, not such a small, small fraction of cases actually make it to the U.S. Supreme Court that we need to focus a little bit more on some of these local things, because those are really the ones that impact our communities. Uh, I do think with this election, people are finally paying attention to just how important courts are. Um, It's always like a lot sexier and a lot more interesting to talk about the the federal races and the really, uh, the really partisan races. But really, these courts are going to shape the way that we live a lot more than than even some of these other positions. Um, And I I don't know about you, I know you and I've talked about before how we have friend, uh, come election time, we have friends that reach out to us and ask for suggestions and ask how to vote in certain races. Uh, And this was the first time I actually had a lot of people asking me questions about the people running for judges, right, more than just, oh, who who do you think I should vote for, um, but really wanted to know what qualified them for the positions and why they'd be interested in taking those seats, uh, and I think that, that is showing a shift in, in how people are thinking about
0: them. Yeah, that's really good, because, you know, a lot of times judges talk about how People fail to flip over their ballot and actually mark choices for the judicial races. And even when I was working the polls, I had a number of people ask, like, I voted the partisan section. Do I have to vote every section after that? Because I don't know who's running for such and such judge position. I don't know any of these people. And so I, I think you're right. I think there's more people now than there used to be who are paying attention to the courts, And a lot of that is probably because of what's been going on at the Supreme Court level with uh, the current Trump administration. But um, I think people should be informed and vote those with information as well. So. Oh
1: yeah, we definitely still got a lot of work to do. Uh, like you said, I, I work as an elections inspector too. And, and I agree, um, we got a lot of work to do to inform everybody, but I, I saw I saw a change in the way some people talked about it.
0: Yeah, so um, other things at the county level, we re-elected Lisa Brown as our county clerk. She's been doing a really awesome job and had a lot of a lot of uh, support behind her for that. So that was really great. We saw Robert Wittenberg, who was a former state representative who was termed out, elected as our new county treasurer, replacing yet another Democrat um, who was not running for that position. Andy Meissner was the outgoing treasurer. So excited to see Robert Wittenberg as our County Treasurer. We reelected Jim Nash as our Water Resources Commissioner, which I know you and I have talked about. I mean, of all the people that you could have as a Water Resources Commissioner, to have someone who's so pro-environment and who is so like on the ball, I think is really impactful to have someone at that level. And then um, one of the most exciting was our County Prosecutor that we actually In the primary, Karen McDonald challenged the incumbent Democratic prosecutor and uh, won that primary on a message of criminal justice reform and really making an impact to reduce the number of people that were putting behind bars and to reduce the number of people that were holding um, because they couldn't pay a specific fine or reducing the people who are awaiting you know their their trial and putting them in jail for a few days, and because they can't pay bail money, instead of just giving them a court date like we do for most other nonviolent offenders of any kind. Um, and so I was really, really, really excited to see her win this election handily as well. I think Karen McDonald is really, really has an opportunity. You know, we talked about the courts. She's going to have a really strong opportunity to change the way that we enact policies and to change the way that we approach our, our criminal justice system, our prison system, at least in the county. And she'll be able to work with our awesome Attorney General, Dana Nessel, to really get some, some positive changes made for our county.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Karen's, I think Karen's campaign from the very beginning just proves like what a risk taker she is and and how important that's going to be uh, in her position. She challenged a seated Democratic uh, prosecuting attorney. And so that was a a risk in and of itself, right, to put herself out there and to say, no, I really, we believe in some of the same things, but I really think that I can do a better job. Uh, And so I think, Anytime that you challenge an incumbent, you're, there's an additional pressure and additional scrutiny, I think, put on your campaign. And Karen has done a fantastic job from day one. Um, I think that it's great and I think it shows the direction that Oakland County is moving that she won by so much too, right? She won by almost exactly 100,000 votes. Um, and that's, that's really something, right? That, that wasn't a close race.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think it was very decisive and I was very glad to see, see her win that. Um, and then also a couple other really important things for our county. We uh, maintained a 21, or I'm sorry, an 11 seat majority on our 21 seat commission in Oakland County, which we have not had a Democratic County commission uh, prior, we we won it in 2018 by one seat. But prior to that, it had been uh, upwards of 30 years since we'd had a majority Democratic commission. Um, and so I think like, it's it's good that they were able to keep the majority because they've been doing so many incredible things over the last two years, helping uh, replace funding for Planned Parenthood when the Trump administration snatched that away or threatened to snatch it away basically uh, because they also provide abortion services um, and getting us through this COVID pandemic and providing resources to businesses Um, economic grants and things like that and then also really important is that the County Commission um, in Oakland which is something a little bit unique for the state of Michigan actually still draws their own um, district lines and so Republicans who had held the Commission for years and years and years had been gerrymandering all of the districts to favor keeping a Republican majority on the commission. And we slowly eked up, eked up a few seats, eked up a few seats and finally took it in 2018. And it's incredibly important that we uh, were able to retain that going into 2021 when their districts will be redrawn.
1: Yeah, gerrymandering is a um, frustrating and perfectly legal, (laughs) right, (laughs) aspect to our political system right now, and so until wider laws about that get changed, um, it's great that Dems have control of those maps right now, and uh, hopefully we can make those districts a little bit more fair, um, a little bit more representative of the people that actually do live in Oakland County, uh, because things are changing around here and things are trending a lot more democratic. And, uh, I think that we need to see the, the representatives, right. That, that reflect that, uh, there was a, a brief window of time where we actually thought we had jumped ahead to a 12 seat majority, but that was a, um, uh, a tabulation error, right. In a district, uh, that misreported. And, and so, but we were able to hang on to that. Yeah. 11 seat majority. And that's huge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel really proud. I think it reflects the changing dynamics of Oakland County itself and given that we're one of the richest counties in the nation and one of the definitely one of the most populous counties in the state of Michigan, I think it um, it has quite an impact because a lot of times people, especially in our neighboring counties, look to Oakland County for kind of a leadership role and up until you know, a couple of years ago, we've really been kind of failing in terms of uh, leadership and collaborative nature, um, which I think takes us right into talking about Dave Coulter, who yeah. is our newly elected and decisively elected uh, county executive, who it, it, it just it's incredible to see what he was, has done since being appointed after the passing of Brooks Patterson, Um, I'm very excited to see what he is going to do next and it also means something to me in terms of representation having somebody who is openly gay who was elected by our county to be the next county executive after someone like Brooks Patterson who was kind of a known conservative and um, very closed off to working collaboratively closed off to transit proposals that, that help our region. And Dave Colder is someone who is very adamant that we have to not only care for our own residents, but we have to look at ourselves on a regional basis and connect ourselves on a regional basis so that everyone is succeeding. Um, so I was just really, really, really proud to see, see him get elected handily.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very very excited about that race. I'm very excited for Dave. Uh, he's been a great leader through a really really crazy time, right? I mean, this was totally thrust upon him during a very, very difficult transition. There was a lot of kind of commotion over him taking his seats um, and, and finishing out Elberx Patterson's term. And no one in a million years, I'm sure, would have thought right that he'd be leading us through this pandemic. And I think that what you said, d- a decisive win in that really shows that people trusted him and like the job that he's doing and think that he's taking care of the county. Um, and yeah, just like so many other conversations we're going to have right through these these other races. Um, It it does matter, representation does matter, it does, it's important for us to see people like Dave um, leading the county strong. Uh, Dave took some time to talk to some of my students uh, a couple weeks ago about what it was like to both run a campaign and govern the county through this pandemic. and you know, just some different things impacting him. I expected him to stay maybe like 15, 20 minutes to talk to my students. Um, After about an hour and 15 minutes, I told them that they had to wrap it up uh, because we had to get some homework done. Um, But he was just so fantastic with them and uh, they voiced their concerns about having LGBT representation and uh, safety for LGBT students in schools. And uh, he was, so honest and so frank with them about how it was to grow up and always assume that he was going to be someone that could support people in politics, but wasn't ever going to be able to run. And the fact that he's leading the biggest county in our state is is really something to be very, very proud of.
0: Yeah, and we all talk about, you know, taking our, our deep breaths and exhaling after this election. Um, I think he is someone who has more reason to exhale than a lot of people. Because, I mean, having, having been from, you know, he, he was a former county commissioner back when there were only six Democrats on this 21-seat commission, um, and they couldn't really get anything done, and they had to constantly, you know, try to put their arguments in and get shut down, put more proposals up and get shut down. And now to be where he's at and have also a Democratic majority on the commission supporting him, um, I think is, is really crucial but I think he's also the right person to be there. When we talk about unifiers, he not only is collaborative with neighboring counties, but really wants to bring in Republicans on our commission to make more things bipartisan and as unanimous as possible. So it's not just Democrats running away with their policies. It's taking into account all areas of our county and what their needs are, what their concerns are, what they're looking for, and trying to to ensure that all voices are heard. And I think that that's something that's unici- unique for a politician in today's world. You know, we always talk about how partisan everything is, how divided we all are, how polarized things are. And so the more people that we can elect who actually want to unify and work collaboratively, I think that's really what we need right now when you talk about healing our country or healing our our communities. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, just as an aside, I'm, I'm looking at the, the county uh, results right now. Um, just kind of a weird fact, I guess, about that race. Um, uh, Dave was technically on the ballot twice, right? He was on the ballot to finish L. Brooks Patterson's term and then for a new term as county executive, you know, a term of his own, essentially. Um, so there was a chance that he... There was a chance that somebody else could have served for the month of December, for the month of November and December, um, and then had a different county executive. Um, but he actually won that race, the partial term by three thousand more votes than he won the the other county race, um which is just <laughs> interesting, strange. People I guess, wanted him to finish, but then didn't want him to take back over in January. Who knows?
0: yeah, I, I guess I could see the argument being that like we don't want to upend things. In the middle of a term kind of thing but we will elect someone different for the next term but yeah that is it is funny i I was at the polls thinking about that chuckling like what if they chose somebody else for this like couple month term and then there was actually a third party candidate for the full term so they could have chosen that person for the full term and like how odd and chaotic would that have been it's Uh
1: But elections maybe- are
0: interesting The you know we we have things that we have to do but the logic behind what's possible sometimes makes you chuckle a little bit
1: absolutely yeah absolutely just thought it was an interesting thing to point out
0: yeah absolutely all right so let's expand out now to statewide level yeah. um one of the really awesome things um I, I guess the most important statewide thing for me was that we actually elected bridget mccormack She was reelected, the current chief justice and probably new chief justice. (laughs) Um, And we also elected Elizabeth Welch, who was the other Democrat um, who had been, um, well, she had, you know, these were nonpartisan seats, but she had been endorsed by the Democratic Party in addition to Bridget McCormack. Very, I mean, I saw her early in the year. I saw her the end of last year. She started her ground game and campaigning and, and talking to people. She actually grew up just down the street from Betsy DeVos, and I'm sure all of my listeners know exactly who that woman is. Uh Um, And so it was was very cool to see Elizabeth Welch and Bridget McCormack elected and actually flip the partisan nature of the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, You know, people will say it flipped from GOP to Dem hands. You know, these are nonpartisan seats, so I would say more than that, it's more of a liberal perspective and less of a conservative perspective, right? Because conservative doesn't always align with Republican and liberal doesn't always align with Democrat. Um, So I was glad to see that.
1: Yeah, with the Supreme Court when we're talking about, you know, interpretation of the state constitution, it is a little bit hard to to fit people into political parties. Uh, But yeah, McCormick and Welch were both the Dem favored, right? They were the ones endorsed by a lot of democratic and left-leaning organizations and people. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to see that shift, especially with the concerns that we have with the federal Supreme Court. Um, I think that friendlier and friendlier states, right, are going to help make some of that progress that we need to make.
0: Yeah, and I... I mean, I don't know if this is true in every state, but our Supreme Court has a lot to do with the makeup of the court system and the direction of the court system as a whole in the state. And so having um, a liberal majority will have a dramatic impact on the way that we, um, the way that we view criminal justice in the United, or not in the United States, in the state of Michigan itself, For example, I know Bridget McCormack has been on a committee with our Lieutenant Governor, uh, Garland Gilchrist, um, looking at our statistics statewide in terms of our criminal justice system, um, what proportion of them are in prison simply because they couldn't pay fines, what proportion of them are in prison because they couldn't pay bail, um, looking at the disproportionate numbers of African Americans, Latinos, uh, and, and in general people of color in our prison system as compared to white people and relating that to the actual levels of crime um, that have been measured. And I know Elizabeth Welch was really excited to join that commission once, once she gets on the Supreme Court, which she just was elected. Um, and so I think that they're poised to make a lot of really great changes using all lovers of our state government to really finally do something that's impactful in terms of our criminal justice system, which in my opinion is just completely broken, completely unfair, um, and really needs a lot of revision. It should not be a for-profit system, um, in, which in many cases it is with private prisons, i'm getting i'm I'm getting a little off here, but uh, I will do an entire episode on criminal justice reform, but I just I think there's so much potential for our state having the two of them elected.
1: Absolutely, and having uh, like we said a more left leaning, a more progressive, friendly court is only going to assist the work that we're already doing at the state and local levels right now. With a democratic Oakland, Oakland County prosecutor, um, with a democratic AG, with a democratic governor, right, we can we can see these the the wheels for these things start to turn a little bit better instead of them hitting roadblocks right every single step of the way.
0: Yeah. Um, I was a little bit, a um, little bit disappointed to see that we did not retake the Michigan State Legislature, which was a big effort that had been being worked on for a few years. We had the opportunity to flip up to four seats in order to to change our majority uh, from the rep- current Republican majority, and that did not happen this time. Um, Some of that is due to, well, a a lot of it is probably due to the current gerrymandering of our uh, state house districts, which uh, fortunately will be redrawn with the new Independent Redistricting Commission after the census results come through. So hopefully that will normalize things both for our state house and state senate, who I know have just both been making, um, making it hell for our governor to try to navigate through this pandemic and you know she's done as good of a job Gretchen Whitmer for those who are not familiar that woman from Michigan has done an incredible job with our state um, has has actually a very high approval with how she's responded to things and yet has faced a brick wall with our state house and our state uh, Senate because they are Republicans and unfortunately that's enough of a reason right now to to cause issues and So I know we'll be looking at that, looking ahead to 2022 as another potential opportunity to normalize things. When you think about having how many different Democrats were elected statewide, and yet we still don't have a majority in our state house and state legislature, I'm sorry, state house and state senate.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you said, you wouldn't necessarily know that um, Governor Whitmer had, had the support that she did given some of her national news coverage. Um, but but she really does that. I think overall people in Michigan feel like she's been guiding us through a very, very crazy time. And yeah, I, I think we're just really hoping to deliver her that, that house so that her job could be just a touch easier. Finally, that she wouldn't be met with so much, um, so much kickback and so much resistance for every single decision that she has to make. Um, but you know, we'll we'll continue working on it. Luckily, those house elections are every uh, are every two years, so we'll have an opportunity again. Here soon. Um, there were some really, really good qualified candidates. Um, Jody Linackia running in uh, North Oakland t- t- Township. You and I went and walked from Barbanes in the Rochester area. There were some. There were some great opportunities. But every single step, right? Every single vote that those people got, every single um, area that gathers yeah, a couple more Democratic-leaning votes, um, is good for people. And the options are good for people, right? Um, That in a lot of places in North Oakland County, Republicans ran completely unchallenged for the last couple decades, and that's just not how our system is supposed to work. So the fact that people are having a choice is an important step to then, I think, flipping these, right? They made it that much easier for the next person that wants to do it, or for them to run again, hopefully.
0: Yeah, and a a lot of times I'll do an episode on gerrymandering specifically. A lot of times gerrymandering Mm -hmm. is the cause of where you have those districts that are essentially built for specific Republicans that will never be competitive, even if you have someone that runs. So, um, but I do agree that even having somebody in an uncompetitive district or not as competitive district running does help to energize the, the voters that you know maybe support a democratic agenda and never get to vote for a democrat in that district it does help to energize them so right
1: yeah we we knew we knew flipping the house was going to be a long shot there was just you know so much talk of the blue wave and and definitely the the joy that we're feeling uh yesterday and today is definitely tempered by the fact that we didn't see that as much as we wanted to um but progress is progress
0: Yes, and on that note, we did also elect two Democrats to the State Board of Education, giving them a 6-2 majority, so that'll be really important. Um, My sister is a teacher, I know you're a teacher, I come from a family of teachers, and I really think public education should be supported. Um, And I I believe that the candidates we had running for Board of Education were both uh, highly qualified and highly compassionate, highly passionate about public education. So I think that'll be good.
1: Yeah, like so many other things, I think this pandemic really shone a light at how many holes there are in our public education system, um, right, things that educators have known for, for decades now, uh, I think are kind of laid bare for everybody else. So I think there's going to be a lot of adjustments to public ed, um, both in funding and structure and, and expectations. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that majority there.
0: Same here. Mm -hmm. All right Uh, now we're going to talk about the federal stuff that uh, most people have been keeping an eye on uh, quite intently. So um, the House of Representatives I guess we can start there. So Democrats did seem to lose a little bit of ground in the House of Representatives but appear like they're going to keep their majority. Um, That's been projected anyway that they will keep the majority. So that's good to see. I know there was a lot of, there's already been a lot of talk online about, you know, more moderates blaming the more progressives in the House for, you know, causing issues for them getting reelected. Um, unfortunately, when, you know, House races are conducted, they really are more of a local race, and people are looking more at their individual um representatives, and so I don't think that you could blame progressives in the House for what happens um, in, in some of those more moderate districts. Um, I was happy to see that we did re-elect Alyssa Slotkin um, into her district and Haley Stevens um, both of whom were really important in flipping the house in 2018 and are definitely much more moderate and more community focused than they are partisan as much as um people would like to paint them as nancy pelosi puppets that's not the case i I don't think that's really the case for anybody that gets elected in the house um but i was very glad to see that and i think that it's good that we'll be able to keep the house the house has done a lot of important things the last two years um, and will be equally impactful in the next the next term.
1: Yeah, have yeah, having that consi- consistency with with some of those um, uh, districts that did just recently flip, I think is really important. It is heartbreaking um, that we lost seats there. But uh, what what do you think that is like? So if it wasn't if it wasn't this this push, like you said, this progressive push, um, what do you think that is? Why why do you think we lost those?
0: To some degree, my my best guess would be um, that there was an overwhelming turnout in this election on both republican and democratic sides Um, and i think that in a lot of the districts that had been flipped um, there was overwhelming republican turnout because donald trump being at the top of the ticket even though not winning the election did help to bring out more people who voted for the Republican candidates. And I think that that helped to drive some of the seats out of reach um, in areas where they maybe were a little bit more um, more level, a little bit more equal, a little bit more on the edge. Um, You know, we had a huge Dem surge in 2018, which flipped a lot of those districts. And I think this time we had we had a big blue wave, but there was also a big red wave that was combating it, which made the overall impact of this election a little bit less um, a little bit less democratic, I guess, or you know big D democratic than mm-hmm. um, it was in 2018. And that was apparent in the Senate seats as well, because there were a number of Senate seats that were poised to flip. like in Maine, in Iowa was potential um, North Carolina states like that where it seemed like there was a significant chance of a democrat taking those seats and there was just such an influx of additional republican voters that managed to hang on to those seats as well. That's my Mm -hmm. my assumption anyway.
1: Yeah yeah that makes sense. I was just curious.
0: (laughs) Yeah Um, so hopefully we can maintain and expand that majority again in 2022. Um, In terms of the senate uh, Gary Peters re- won re-election in Michigan. I was very thankful about that. Um, I'm glad to be sending him back for six more years. And I hope that he'll get, some, get on some committees that will raise his kind of profile and prominence that will also help. Because I think part of his uphill battle was he was just not as well-known statewide as like Debbie Stabenow was much better known and Gary Peters has been involved in Michigan politics for decades but I think he just he was very much a low profile get things done type of senator and in a in a country where we're focused so much on national news now I think that that just kind of um, I think that didn't help him I think that was a little bit of a hindrance was how well known or not well known he was and you know so him rewinning his seat and then flipping the seat in Arizona for Mark Kelly, flipping the seat in Colorado for John Hickenlooper, Um, and then of course we lost the seat in Alabama where Doug Jones was. Now puts it where as far as uncalled races, we're at, as of today's recording, we're at (laughs) 48-48. By the time this airs, we probably will have results for North Carolina and Alaska. Those are probably going to go Republican, not certain, but probably, so you're looking at 48 to 50. And then the two Senate seats in Georgia are going to a runoff, which could ultimately be the deciding election um, in terms of control of the Senate. Um, That election will be held on January 5th. And so, um, you know, I know a lot of people are already mobilizing to get get those senators a lot of attention and get them money that they're gonna need for these races and getting resources out. I know we've talked about doing some postcard writing to voters in Georgia to help keep them motivated. Uh, What are your thoughts about the chances in Georgia?
1: I think it's so exciting. Um, I think the fact that we're even talking about there being a chance in Georgia means that there's a chance, right? Like the fact that uh, this this wouldn't have been an area that we thought was in play in the last couple of years. And and uh, uh, I think that a, a h- nearly 100% of the credit goes to Stacey Abrams um, and her organization, Fair Fight, Uh, We were just in touch with with someone from the organization um, like last night to see what it was that they needed. Uh, One of the things that they talked a little bit about was that uh, in Abrams' race um, when she ran, when it got so close people just like descended on the state and things got a little chaotic and and there was probably mismanaged resources and time and energy and we just want to make sure that that doesn't happen again so right now i think organizations are kind of like gearing up and and getting mobilized um but then definitely in a holding pattern to kind of get the go-ahead from what it is georgia actually needs right do they um Do they need donations? Do they need support? Do they need voter outreach? Uh, right calls postcards like you said uh, i don't know if we all need to get on a bus and go to georgia like whatever it is <laughs> they say um i know that people are anxious and willing to help out um this is just such, such an exciting thing uh, but we do got to make sure that we're not you know crowding uh, crowding the noise that's there and, and to make sure that that's there's a plan locally um and then that we're able to help out so so that's kind of the process i think right now but but absolutely i, I think it's the, the work that Stacey abrams has done is just wonderful and I think the fact that um, it just shows such a clear difference in character right we've talked a lot about character in the last couple years and definitely in this election that for Stacey Abrams to lose her race and instead of being a baby about it right to completely create this thing from scratch and to say, no, I'm going to make sure that this thing doesn't happen to other people, that this doesn't happen in other races, that people have, you know, literally a fair fight when it comes to um, running for office and casting their ballot. Uh, I just think that it's such a huge inspiration, right, when she had the chance to completely, like, break down and, and point out all the flaws in the system or be a big baby about it she didn't do it, that, she got
0: to work. <laughs> right, she took it as an opportunity to really build on all of the work that she did in her campaign and expand that and continue to work on that. And I think yeah. whatever, regardless, whatever happens um, with these Senate seats, like the fact that Biden is leading in Georgia as of today, and by the time this episode comes out, may Georgia may have been called for a Democrat for the first time since 1992, when Bill Clinton ran. Right. Um, And I think, you know, like if you're able to keep that ground game and keep building on it and keep voters energized, it kind of combats the same things that people feel in gerrymandering, where it's like, well, my vote's not as important because Georgia's a red state. Whereas Mm -hmm. when it's actually competitive, you get more people who get energized, who go out, who vote, who make their voices heard. And it's not just that you're overtaking the voice of the majority, because obviously elections are a majority vote, but what you're doing is you're making a true majority's voices heard, right? Like every vote counts, every person should count, every person should have a say. Mm -hmm. And I think in Georgia specifically, it helps that both of the Georgia Senate candidates are deeply flawed Dave Perdue made a fool of himself in his last debate with uh, John Ossoff, and actually declined to do any future debates because he was so terrible at it. And then Kelly Loeffler was appointed and has had scandals. And Raphael Warnock, her opponent, is actually like deeply supported and has a lot of positive energy behind him. Um, I I really think there's a a strong chance, and I think it's going to be really important. Um, If we're able to get a 50-50 on the Senate with Vice President Harris being able to break the tie, because if we don't, Mitch McConnell is planning to continue his obstructionist way of governing. People, I just in our meeting that we had yesterday talking with um, the ACLU, uh, Jay Kaplan, talking about the difference, it really stuck with me when he talked about there's a difference between divided government and obstructionist government. Divided government provides checks and balances so things don't go um, you know off the deep end one way or the other. but obstructionist government, which is Mitch McConnell's style of governing, is to just prevent anything from getting done until we get power again. Yeah. Use whatever ever power we have to prevent as much from getting done as possible until we're able to get our agenda moved forward again. And so I think it really will be all eyes will be on Georgia because it's gonna be a very consequential election.
1: Absolutely, and yeah, I think it's a really important uh, point that you, that you mentioned. Um, it's not just get these people elected because they're blue, right, because they're Dems, they're two really qualified candidates. So it's, I think, I think like so much happening right now, it's like right place, right time, right, for, for some of these things to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then our presidential election. So Joe Biden has been declared the winner of the presidential election. Um, I'm very excited about this. Um, I, you know, have listened to a few of his, his speeches, and he has been talking intensely about unity and compassion and working together and taking care of each other. And I think although we're still in that partisan heat of leading up to the election i do think that that message if continued on is going to have a a really strong impact in um kind of calming things down at least for those who are not off the deep end trump voters um and then of course vice president elect kamala harris who will be the first woman in the white house she will also be the first black and South Asian woman, biracial woman, to take the second most powerful office in the country, um, and knowing how Joe Biden worked when he was with Obama, uh, Kamala Harris is not going to be a backseat, a backseat participant. She's no, going to be active. She's going to be involved. Um, and then it's it's been really cool watching, you know, as the different states fell. Obviously, Pennsylvania is considered the tipping point. But I truly believe the same could be said of Georgia. They just haven't counted the votes yet. Right. You know, like By the mm-hmm. time this, this episode comes out, it will, it, Georgia will be called and Arizona will be called, North Carolina will be called. What it's looking like is probably Arizona and Georgia will remain blue and North Carolina and Alaska will probably be red. Um, so we don't have the final numbers for that. But we do know that Joe Biden is the president-elect what are your thoughts
1: uh what a roller coaster huh um so uh a lot of thoughts but um mainly i, I do think i mean at, at the risk of sounding real cheesy right from from day 1 um vice president biden's message has been for decency and i think that that is that's what i felt the last couple of days just that there has been something restored that was sorely lost um and and the amount of respect that people have for the office i think can start to be regained and i mean like this stuff it's it's real it's not just us being political nerds like like geeking out about this right that this is this is real right they rung church bells in paris france yesterday when they made the announcement like this is just there there is something that changed four years ago that i think we are in some kind of position, right, to get back. Um, and Kamala Harris's appointment election alone um, is just so huge. I, I just, there, there's not even words to explain what it's going to mean. Um, I think that uh, what you said about um, them governing together is absolutely going to be super evident, right, that I th- I think even making the choice last night to put her on stage before he spoke, um, before Vice President Biden spoke, was like an indicator, right, to just how they're gonna govern and that, that they do view each other as a team. I think there's a huge amount of respect between the two of them, um, even though maybe didn't seem like it during the primaries. Um, I think that they've gotten to a place that, right, that they're going to, um, to work so closely together um, and be a team that we don't normally see. And that's, it's kind of up to every president who gets elected sort of what position the vice president actually plays, right? What role they play. Um, and and some are a lot more hands off and some have separate duties and that's fine. That's one of the kind of, right? I We have this conversation every year in civics, like what is the job of a vice president? It's the most undefined yet potentially most important position that we have in our government. Um, and uh, I, I think that we can see that they're gonna, very clearly that, that they're gonna be a team, right? And uh, I think that they're taking some of that from the relationship that President Obama and Vice President Biden had, um, and sort of embodying that moving forward, and I think it's just—I think it's what we need right now. Their speeches were were spot on last night. Uh, I think it was what people needed to hear. But but every single thing about Harris—I mean, the the white power suit, the the everything—it was just um, really really important. And I think that we're we're seeing history, and I hope—I just my biggest hope is that our country realizes. what an important step this is no matter who you vote right
0: and I think a lot of people do I think um you know even my precinct chair at my election district was like you know I I didn't I don't like Biden but if he wins like okay let's get some stuff done let's do this like and I I think that the majority of Americans are going to feel that way even if it wasn't their elected their chosen representative So, and, and, you know, Barack Obama, when he was in office, had this kind of last person in the room philosophy when it came to Joe Biden. So when they would talk about these really important things and really important decisions, everyone else would leave the room and he and Joe Biden would speak and and kind of have the final conversation before a decision was made. And there's no reason to think that Joe Biden wouldn't do the same thing with Kamala Harris. Yeah. Um, and like we said at the beginning of this episode, you know, our work is not done. We finished this election. Our work is not done. There's going to be a lot of healing that needs to happen. But there's also, you know, I'm, I'm very progressive and I want to see these progressive things that we've been fighting for enacted. And, you know, that all hinges on what happens in the Senate, but it also very much hinges on where Joe Biden decides to take things. And so I'll be watching watching closely as i'm sure you will as i'm sure our listeners will to see what this next 4 years brings us you know we've got another midterm in 2 years yeah. meaning that we've got about 1 year about 1 year to relax and watch and then midterms are going to start ramping up and we're going to start hearing election conversations again so i think i think we're headed in the right direction i think we've corrected a Serious aberration in our government and our politics, mm-hmm. our political system. Um, but we now have to to make some actual changes because obviously, you know, over seventy million vote people voted for Donald Trump still, and so there's there's some um, growth that needs to happen as a country and as a political system. There's changes that we need to make. There's also more outreach maybe that needs to be made. Um, and so we'll kind of see where we go from here, as at least that's kind of how I'm feeling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, given everything that's happened and definitely in the last year, but in the last few years, um, I think the the soaring voter turnout in this election is proof positive that, that there's something changing about the democratic process, right? That people are realizing that um, just voting isn't enough, right? There's one of my favorite Uh, quotes from Gloria Steinem is that voting isn't the most we can do, but it's the least. Um, And it's just the the first part of a very big process right because we now need to hold all of these people accountable like you said we need to push for some of these um, more progressive ideas we need to push for unity um, we need to push to get these things done because it, it doesn't just happen right it come it comes from people asking for it and but I think we're seeing that I think we're seeing between the the protests and the demonstrations and the engagement in this election it's not just going to Fizzle out like it's not just going to be gone by Monday, um, and so we have to do something with that energy. And and I feel I, I think people are pumped up to to do that.
0: Yeah, and a big part of my energy is not just getting Donald Trump out of office, but also no. recognizing over the past few days, especially that we're also giving Betsy Devo- DeVos the boot. Woo-hoo. We're also you know giving Stephen Miller the horrible xenophobic person advising Trump on all of his immigration policies. We're giving him the boot. We're giving Bill Barr, one of the most corrupt attorney generals that the country's ever had, the boot. We're also giving Mike Pence the boot. We're also going to finally have a spokesperson in the White, as a White House press secretary who answers questions and who addresses truth over lies. You know, mm-hmm. that was one of the the Biden campaign's statements, but I think like that's gonna be really important to finally stop being gaslit and lied to by our government. And so I'm overwhelmingly excited about a lot of these other changes as well, so.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good direction, it's a good direction.
0: All right, well, thank you so much for being here, Lauren. I'm sure this is not where the conversation ends. I plan to keep doing these episodes, obviously. We'll talk about more things. But I really, really appreciate you um, and your insight as a teacher, as a civics teacher. um, And we have not heard the last from you. So
1: awesome. Can't wait
0: to be back. Good to have, good to talk. All right. Take care. See ya. Thank you for listening to the episode. Hopefully you gleaned a little bit of uh, insight into some of the local elections, the state elections, and what's going on at the federal level. A lot to come in terms of the state of Georgia, and so we should all be keeping our eyes on them. I am going to drop the link for Fair Fight in the description for this episode. Fair Fight is Stacey Abrams' organization in Georgia that has been fighting to increase access to voting reduce disenfranchisement, and also to help to turn Georgia blue, uh, which happened at the presidential level and hopefully will happen at the Senate level as well. If you would like to donate to Fair Fight and or support the Georgia runoff elections, you can do so at fairfight.com. And so I'm going to be putting that in the chat so that you have access to that as well. Our next episode is going to be coming out in two weeks, and we'll focus on the Electoral College and the popular vote, and so be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, if you have not yet, I do have an Instagram account, at Mitten underscore politics. I'd love if you'd go that go there and follow that account. On Facebook, it's at Mitten Politics, and I did create a Twitter as well, at Mitten underscore politics. So if you follow any of those accounts, you'll be able to hear about new episodes. Um, and thank you so much for your participation and for listening. If you ever have any questions, you can email me at mittenpolitics at There's no spaces or underscores for that email account. And I, if you have questions about anything, submit them there. And I will also make sure to try and answer and feature those on these episodes as well. Thank you so much. And we will see you in two weeks.